Well, we've got an interesting subject for today. It really is. It deals with the subject we've already talked about for the last two Sundays. How that bitterness is the poison for the soul. And the Lord warns against bitterness. So easy to be bitter because bitterness comes because we get hurt. And people hurt us all the time. And we hurt others, and they hurt us. So it's something we have to learn to deal with. So I've said, you know, you have to learn how to serve the Lord as though you've never been hurt. Or hurt will always keep you from being found faithful to serve God. So we're going to look at how does it affect your life. And it really does affect your life. It affects a lot of the decisions that we make. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Titus chapter 2, the book of Titus and chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, look there in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. In other words, God's salvation by grace is for everybody, not for a select group called the elect. This is for all men. That's what the Bible says. Now, to me, all men means everybody. But the grace that God has for all men that he made a payment for the sins of the world and he offers it to everybody, it's free. But this same grace that God did for us in offering us salvation, that's something we don't deserve. He says, I want this same grace to teach you and I something. So the grace of God is to teach us, see what he says in verse 12? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Now the key to doing that is living by grace. In other words, God is giving to you and I an opportunity to do for others what he did for us. He provided salvation by grace to everybody equally. Therefore, he says, we're supposed to love everyone in the world equally. We are supposed to bestow upon them the grace that God bestowed upon us. You still want to serve the Lord? This is the interesting part. So living a soberly life, a righteous life, denying worldly lust and so forth, we don't let that old sinful nature dictate to us how to treat other people. We're going to treat them the way God treated us. We're going to feel about them the way God feels about them. And buddy, that changes everything. It really does. And while we're doing that, he says in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about, you know, should I serve the Lord until I retire, or should I serve the Lord until He returns? We serve the Lord until He returns, and since He hasn't returned yet, should I keep serving the Lord? So I should still keep doing what this verse tells me I'm supposed to do until then. So now I know how long I'm supposed to do this. As long as I'm in this world and until Jesus comes. Now turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. And notice there in chapter 3. When the Bible talks about suffering 
And he does. He talks about suffering an awful lot, especially in chapter 2. But this is a, a book on your faith being on trial. And it's never as on trial as between a husband and a wife. You see what's on the screen up there? Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now, why would he have to say that? We would naturally love everybody, right? I mean, it's just when you get married, you just naturally are going to just love, love, love. You're never going to be mad at each other because we took a vow. Until death do us part, um, richer for poor. Well, I didn't know we were going to get this poor. Better or worse, it really got worse. And he said, well, I didn't mean, yeah, I know. Now, here you are. But God says some wonderful things for us. And I want you to look there, 1 Peter chapter 3, and look in verse 1 where he says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, and <laughs> not somebody else's, just yours. You just take care of that, you'll be doing fine. And get what else he said. That if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation or behavior of the wife. In other words, you can win your mate to the Lord. That should be the goal of winning our mate to serve God. Not only to know Christ as Savior, but to challenge him to serve the Lord. So there's got to be something real in your life. Notice what else he says in verse 2. While they behold your chaste behavior coupled with fear. In other words, they have a certain amount of respect for you because you live what you say you believe. You practice what you preach. It goes both ways. And look, many times a woman thinks that she just adorns herself beautifully. That's all she needs to hold a husband. No, you might need that to get him, but it ain't going to keep him. There's nothing wrong. Somebody told me, says, you know, if, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> Another way you can look at this is why, and this is the truth, that women are outliving the men. Have y'all noticed that? Paint is a preservative. <laughs> so you watch all these men are going to start painting their faces. <laughs> no, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't do that. But he talking about in verse 3, whose adornment let it not be that of outward adornment of plaiting of the hair and the wearing of gold or putting on the... In other words, that's not supposed to be the most beautiful part of the woman. Though we do want our wives to be attractive. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what's going to make a good marriage just because she looks nice. But I do believe that women ought to try to take care of themselves and look very presentable and, and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. This is not a condemnation about women, even if they wear some jewelry or something like that. No, it's just that you leave the other undone. Look what he said. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible. See, your new birth is incorruptible. Let people see that new birth that you have. Let them see the new person, that one that trusted Christ as Savior, born into God's family. Let your mate see your new birth. Wouldn't it be neat if in every home all we could see was them manifesting the Lord? You see, we get into trouble when we fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then we want to manifest the anger and the hatred and the bitterness of the flesh, and it destroys our home. Look what else he says. For in verse 5, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, 
adorn themselves being in subjection. In other words, being in subjection to your husband is an ornament of great price. Being in subjection to your husband and honoring your husband is a great thing. That makes you more beautiful than just because your hair's nice, your dress is nice, your gold is nice, your makeup is nice. But I hate my husband. You are more beautiful when you are a good wife. Be a good wife. Now, there's things the Bible talks about the men, too, so don't get too excited, fellas. But notice he talks about to the women who trust God, because you can trust the Lord that he's going to work through your husband. And if you don't believe he will work through your husband, you're going to try to work on your husband. Now, there's a difference. This one guy says, my wife isn't that bad of a nag, but she goes to the blacksmith shop to get her shoes. Okay? But he wants you to adorn yourself in the things of God. And so then he goes on down here and says in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the gift of grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Did you know your prayers can be hindered if husband and wife are not right? So is it important? It, it can affect your whole life of whether how God blesses you or not. Love your wife. Wives, love your husband. Do right. And then he says here in verse 8, Finally be ye all of one mind. See, it's great when as you grow older in the Lord, you begin to think the same way. I don't even have to think anymore. Betty thinks for me. <laughs> no, we, we think the same way. I actually think she can read my mind. It's only got one page. <laughs> have you ever felt that you get ready to say something and then she'll tell you what, right before you say it, she says it. I'm just going to say that. But I'm just a tad slow. She's faster. But he talks about brethren. Love as brethren. In other words, you treat your wife or your husband as a child of God. How does God want his children to be treated? Something to think about. And then he talks about being pitiful. That doesn't mean just go around and be, oh, I'm so pitiful. No, it means being full of pity. That you're sensitive. You're teachable. You're pliable. You care, you have concern, compassion. And then he makes a statement in the last part of verse 9, that you should inherit a blessing. In verse 10, for he that will love life, and it means to enjoy life. You want to enjoy life and see good days? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. In other words, it's, you want to have a happy home and long life? That right there can destroy it. That tongue can be so sharp, it can cut. You can say little digs. You can kill somebody with a sharp tongue. And a lot of love for each other has been killed over the years because of a sharp tongue. And that sharp tongue is what leads to this bitterness that uh, I want to talk to you about this morning. So we're going to walk over here and hopefully show you a few things. Now keep it in mind, there is... In light of what I've already said, these are the things that to keep in mind as we're moving right along. Do not poison your spouse. Remember I said last week, people who are bitter is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. 
Don't make the water bitter. In the Old Testament, Exodus 15, talks about why they'd gone through the wilderness. They came upon some water. But the water was bitter. So they put a tree into the water and it became sweet. Now in your life, you'll have a lot of bitterness. But if you take the tree of life, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and put him into the mix, you'll be surprised how sweet everything can be. God can change everything. Don't try to change your mate. Let God change you. That's where you are responsible for. If you be bitter and full of envy and strife and so forth in your heart, glory not and lie not against the truth. Now understand, some people don't want to know the truth. They don't even want to hear the truth. They don't want to believe the truth. Have you ever found sometimes you can't even talk to some people because they don't care, they don't want to know, and nothing you say is going to matter? All right, so what should you do? Get your gun. No. Learn how to deal with your own rejection. There's somebody else who came into this world, and they were rejected. They know what it's like. They know what it's like to have people turn against them, and even those of his own family. So it can happen. And so this is something to keep in mind. The serious problem of unforgiveness. When you are unwilling to forgive another person. Remember, it's the grace of God that He forgave us when we did not deserve. And God wants us to demonstrate that to others. So one of the things that we should look for are opportunities to manifest the grace to others that God showed to us. So there's probably some people that are going to come your way, might even be in your own household, might even be in the church, that you can demonstrate how much you love God, what He means to you, what He's done for you, the sacrifices He made, how He was treated, and you're going to treat people the way God wants them to be treated. And that's when the grace of God has power in your life. But you have to understand, many times people have a failure in their life. And it's a grace failure. Ye fail the grace of God through bitterness. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. In other words, if you don't allow the grace of God to work in your life, then God doesn't have that opportunity to be seen with His characteristics as the way God really is. And instead of them thinking how wonderful God is, and because you say you are a Christian, and you live like the devil, you're going to be giving honor and glory to somebody else and not to God. And people are going to think less of God, not more of God. So you are to be thankful for all trials and tribulations, because they're simply opportunities for you to demonstrate the grace of God in your life. When you fail, this is what price is to be paid. You give an opportunity to the enemy of God in your life. You see, he says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Don't give the devil an opportunity to destroy you or to destroy your spouse or to destroy your kids by using you as an opportunity to be destructive. The devil doesn't care how he ruins your life or your testimony as long as he succeeds. You grieve the Spirit of God. 
who seeks to produce love in your life. See, God wants people to know about Him. You are His representative. I am His representative. God doesn't stop people from doing us mean, ugly, and unkind, and hateful. But He wants to use that as an opportunity for us to demonstrate what Christ went through. I told my class one time in the college, wouldn't it be a shame for me to give my wife $1,000 to go spend? And there was no stores. That'd be the only reason I would give her $1,000 to go spend. (laughs) But if there's no stores, what do I need this money for? So God allows you to have life to live. But you see, God has given you some money. And he wants you to spend it. This money, the value that he gave to you, is like he gave you the grace of God to live your life. Not under the law, but by grace. It means that I can bestow upon people something they don't deserve. They don't deserve forgiveness, but I get to do it anyway. They don't deserve kindness, but I'm going to be kind anyway. Whatever they need, and I can manifest that, not because I'm so good, but because God is so good to me. Therefore, I get to demonstrate that to somebody else. But the devil will work on your mind and do everything he can to poison your mind. And when he poisons your mind, you can't think clearly. Bitterness sets in. And the root of bitterness springs up and many become defiled because of that. So, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It shouldn't be in your own life. You don't want it in your spouse's life. That's why you don't say and do things to try to make them mad and upset. That causes them to, you know, to react in such a way. You ought to live long enough with your mate. You ought to learn by now what to say and what not to say. Some people find out what really irritates them and then do it. Because that makes you look bad if you can make them, you know, blow the, you know, the lid off the house. Because you didn't. But you set it up. Do you think God knows that? You're not going to be happy when you try to get your mate to walk in the flesh. Careful. This is what people do. I've used this illustration for 40 years. I said, can you do this? No, I can't. Can you do this? No, I can't do that. Can you do this? I can't. And you know, there's some people that go to church all the time, but they can't do any ministry. Well, I, I, I can't. They have built a wall around themselves. I can't, I can't, I can't, and become a prisoner. Within the wall, they built. Doesn't the Bible say something along the line, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But they've never demonstrated the strength of the Lord in their life because they never attempt to do anything. They're always afraid of being a failure. I might fail. I might fail. Well, la-di-da, if you don't, you did fail. Don't that make sense? Now, you know I'm being kind to you. Don't you? I'm being nice. I'm saying this is the nicest. The honey is just dripping off of my chin. The next thing is you fail to manifest the forgiveness of God. You have been undeservedly given because of Jesus Christ. You fail to manifest it when you have an unforgiving spirit. And you know you should. You know it's right. You want to, 
But you have an old sinful nature that fights against you, doing the things that's right. And you know it's right, but you also have this, I'm not. You remember years ago, they used to have this Gilligan's Island, and they're always trying to get Gilligan to do something, and Gilligan's is like, you can't make me, you can't make me, you can't make me, and then he does it. In Ephesians chapter 4, now look at these verses because they're very important verses. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now just think for a minute. God destroyed this whole world because he says he was grieved because of the people's insubordination, rebellion, their wickedness. And so in Genesis chapter 6, he said, I'll destroy them all. But the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And yet you have people today that grieve God by their rebellion. In the Bible, and we was talking about this in Sunday school, talking about Saul, when God made him a king, when he was little in his own eyes, then he got too big for his britches. And then the Bible says it grieved God that he had made Saul king over Israel. So, God can be grieved because the person that he wants to do certain things, won't do them. God is grieved with his children when his children do not obey him. When you fail in your Christian life, see, being successful in your Christian life isn't that you just go to church every Sunday and you give a little money here and there and, and you try to do what's right out there and so on. Like but listen, it's demonstrating the grace of God in your life. You and I are not to live by the law, laying down the law for everybody. We're supposed to demonstrate what we can do, which is I can live by grace. means that I am going to bestow upon you love and kindness, compassion and care. All the things that God wants me to, regardless of how you treat me. Over the years, you'll have it and I will have it. We'll hurt somebody, somebody will hurt us. But if you never learn how to forgive you will turn to bitterness. And bitterness is the poison that eats at you until it destroys you. You're hoping the other person dies from it, but you're the one that's taking the poison. Look what he says. You're sealed until the day of redemption. That's the day when we leave these old bodies and we're cut up to meet the Lord in the air. So how long should we do this? How long should we serve the Lord? Until he comes. So we keep looking for the Lord to return. Serve the Lord until we retire. Or serve the Lord until he returns. Until he returns. Now look what he said. Let all bitterness. All of it. Why does God have to tell us this? Why does he have to tell us in the book of Colossians in chapter 3. Uh, Husbands be not bitter against your wife. Why? Because it must be a very easy thing to do. It must be an easy thing to get bitter. Isn't it? Isn't it easy to get bitter at your husband? Bitter at the kids? Bitter at your parents? The in-laws and outlaws? All your relatives? It's easy to get bitter with the boss? The preacher? It's easy. Now, you want to demonstrate the grace of God in your life? Learn how to forgive. Not because somebody deserved it. Well, if they asked me, I might. Well, I'll forgive them for this and this and this, but I'll never forgive them for what they said. How long are you going to drink this poison? Who do you think you're hurting? That person or you? 
It's what does, it destroys you. Not loving, not caring, not having compassion. You can't make everything right. You can't make everybody love you. But you can still demonstrate to them what God wants you to demonstrate. When Christ was in this world, who did he wrong? He must have wronged somebody or they wouldn't have done to him what they did. Ain't that right? That's just plain good logical reasoning. He must have been wrong somewhere. He must not have read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. Jesus made everybody mad. He was always offending people. True? Didn't Jesus offend people? He made everybody mad at him. Well, almost everybody. And even his own family didn't believe him. The Bible says over and over again, his mother pondered these things in her heart. Well, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind one to another, unless it's your wife or your husband. It means be kind to everybody but them. Where do you think it should start? At home. Your home should be like heaven on earth. Think about it. Husband and wife, supposed to love each other, be of the same mind. And that's supposed to demonstrate what heaven must be like. I had somebody who came for marriage counseling. Now, even after I talked to them for months and months, they still want to get married. Nobody listens to the preacher. But they, sitting in my office, and I asked them, I says, now, have you ever seen a marriage like what you want to have. And I was expecting them to say, you know, my mother and dad. And my, I said, whose marriages have you ever seen that you would like yours to be like? I said, have you ever seen anybody's marriage? No. So you want to have something that's never been. You want a marriage like something you have never seen. I said, what's wrong with the ones that you've seen? They're always arguing and fighting and back. Of course, when they get ready to get married, we're not going to do that. I've had people that say, when I get married and I have kids, they're not going to be like yours. How do you win? Wait. You know how I deal with my critics? Outlive them. Sooner or later, they'll die. And you're still going. Because, see, it kills bitterness and hatred. It destroys a person. The key to long life, as the scripture says, learning how to love one another. Be kind. You see, happiness and joy is medicine to the bones. You'd be surprised how much better off you will feel when you know you're doing right. The joy that you have when you know you're doing right. But when you don't do right, it makes you sick inside. It just kind of ties up your stomach in little knots. It just makes you feel terrible. And then sometimes when you're bitter, you can't sleep at night. You can't get the rest that you need. Something's always bothering you. And don't tell me it won't affect your health. It will affect you. Look what he says. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Considering that other person... And you've got to be tender-hearted. You care. Compassion. 
forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That word followers means as imitators. Imitate your heavenly father. All right, when he was here and people did all these bad things to him, what did he do? What was demonstrating his characteristics? Remember, he said he could have called 10,000 angels. But as the song says, he died alone. He could have, but he didn't. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, if it were my, my angels, my army, we would fight. But it's not. We are citizens of another country. The day is coming when there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be there. But we don't have to wait till we get there to love people, to forgive people. This is all temporary. Life is so short. Wouldn't it be a shame to live half of your life drinking poison, being bitter toward people, carrying grudges that you don't even have to carry? Cut people a little slack. I always told people, see with one eye and hear with one ear. Don't see everything. Don't hear everything. And I've told people this. Sometimes, you know, you think somebody said something and they didn't say that. And sometimes Betty will say, Yankee, I told you that. I said, honey, I didn't hear you. It doesn't count if I don't hear you. It doesn't matter if you say it 50 times. If I don't hear you, it doesn't count. Doesn't that sound good? There has been times when I've heard her, but then I say, I didn't hear you. Have you ever been accused of selective hearing? Do you know anybody like that? Is it possible that you could be like that when it comes to church? And you say, oh boy, boy, that was a good sermon this morning. That's perfect for those people right behind me. They needed that. They needed that. Boy, I wish so-and-so had been here. That would have been perfect for her. She's always blabbermouthing about something. And you'd be surprised. Sometimes, sometimes, the Lord wants to talk to you. Sometimes it's not for everybody else. After last Sunday, I had some people saying, who told you about me? And it says, I know you were talking to me. And... Uh, Sometimes I think, they think I'm talking to them individually. This is just a message that's generic for everybody. These are simple verses out of the scriptures. And so if it hits you between the eyes, hello. Maybe the Lord has a way of, a, he just wants to get your attention. Now it's better for you just to hear what he said and obey than to him to have to get a two before and put it over your head. So he says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. How are we supposed to walk? It's always about what he did and how he did it. And so therefore we have an example. And hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Anybody remember who said that? Somebody said that. I wonder who said that. He said that. Jesus said that. When he was on the cross. Forgive them for they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Did you ever realize that sometimes, you know, because of an old sinful nature we have, the Bible says the devil hath deceived the whole world. Is it, poss is it possible that sometimes your husband's just a little deceived? Well, he's a little deceived. Is it possible that your wife could be deceived at times? 
and she didn't see or hear and get it straight, and she might be in error. Do you have to nail her against the wall? Do you have to crucify her? Do you have to get the gun and shoot her? Or can you just write it off? She, she didn't hear me. It's okay. It doesn't matter. And so like the guy who walks in the, you know, he's sitting there and watching TV, and the wife walks in and says, what's on TV? Dust. And then the war began. Like I told you one day, this woman's standing there and she's looking in the mirror. She says, honey, I need a compliment. I mean, and look, look at me. My hair's all just straggly all over my head. I, I got wrinkles. I'm sagging. I'm getting old. Give me a compliment. I need a good compliment. She says, well, nothing wrong with your eyesight. And then the war begins. Now, wives, sometimes it's better not to hear certain comments. I didn't hear that. Because you know it's setting you up. And you're going to get, you're going, Katie, bar the door. And wouldn't it be so nice if everybody could just cut each other a little slack? Your, your wife isn't perfect. I had a man one day, and this is the truth. He says, preach, I want you to pray for me. I said, sure, why not? He says, pray that I can find the perfect wife. I says, I will not. He says, what? I says, I will not. I says, if there's a woman out there that's a perfect wife, why should she marry you? <laughs> You're not a perfect man. Why ruin such a good woman? There's no perfect men. There's no perfect women. There's no perfect children. Except mine, my grandkids. <laughs> but he says, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, one another, as God hath, for, for Christ's sake, forgiven us. Forgiveness means to have no personal vendetta against the person, but to have given them over to the only righteous judge, the Lord to deal with the offender as he pleases. Now, y'all know that in 1991, I got a phone call from Colorado, that a man had taken a hammer and killed my son. Now, the man that killed my son was a black man. And they gave him about four years. Because even though he confessed to the crime, they had not read him his rights. So he got off because some detectives didn't read him his rights. So anyway, I had to give a report to the, the court to the judge and everybody was there. And in the video, because I couldn't be there, I addressed the man that killed my son. See, this had nothing to do with skin color. This has to do with sin. All our problem is a sin problem. The things that we're facing in our country with all the people and the riots, and it's, it's a sin problem. That's the problem. It's not the color of the skin. It's, it's the sin problem. And everybody has a sinful nature. Now, I could go for the rest of my life for 24 years, and I could hate and be filled with bitterness. But I told him on the video, I says, I love you, and I forgive you. But government can't forgive you. Government must do what government is supposed to do. It's the law. They are to handle that. And I have committed this whole thing to the Lord to work through our government. And 
I have no vendetta against you. I'm not going to take vengeance against you. I have already wrote it off. My mind is clear. I have nothing against you. I said, but now you cannot escape the court of divine justice. There's a day coming when you'll have to answer to God. But you do not have to answer to me. And you know, for the last 23, 4 years, that doesn't bother me one iota. I grieve that my son is dead. I've often thought about what he could have done with his life. And about his children and all that, you know. Yeah. But some things I can't change. But the only thing that I can deal with is how I feel. What I go through. My peace of mind. I can't change the world out there. But I can make sure that I try to live and walk and think the way I'm supposed to. And not take vengeance. The Bible says... God will take vengeance. And I'm not his little avenging angel. Yes, brother, I can forgive, all right, but I can't forget. No, that's uh, something that's going to happen when we get to heaven, and we won't have this old sinful nature, and we'll never recall it. And he says the former things will be remembered no more. True forgiveness means burying the hatchet, but not in the back of the other person you're trying to forgive. Be careful of the man who pats you on the back. He may be looking for a place to plant the knife. What does forgiveness toward others not mean? Trust is immediately restored. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, yes, God forgave you, but doesn't it's limitation in how you're used. He can't put you in, okay, now you become the pastor. You just got saved yesterday. You can be the pastor today. No, there's a process to go through. And learning and things not to do, things that you are to do, and you earn the right to be trustworthy. And some people, yes, you can forgive, but they need to earn the right to be trusted again. Forgiveness doesn't mean all of that's gone. It just means you as a person, you're not holding it again. They have still trust to be gained. There are no consequences to faith. There are consequences. You can say a lot of things, do a lot of things, ask God to forgive you, and He can forgive you. But your wife may not, and she may divorce you. And you can get drunk on the job, and he might forgive you, but you might lose your job. And you can drink an awful lot and ruin your kidneys or whatever, and next thing you know, yes, God can forgive you, I forgive you. But it doesn't undo the damage. And you can waste your life, and God can forgive you, but it doesn't put fruit on the plate. It doesn't give you anything to be rewarded for. A wasted life still wasted. It's still gone. And there's still need for communication. You see, even after you and I trusted Christ as our Savior and God forgive us, God still wants us to come to Him and talk and to grow. To grow. To mature. And this is why when people get married, they begin to communicate. And that's why you have transmissions on cars. From the motor to the wheels. You've got to have a transmission. You have to learn how to shift gears. And everybody thinks it's all going to be automatic. But there is a value of having a, a manual transmission. And so in your marriage, you have to learn. You have to grow. You have to adjust. And you're always learning how to adjust. Have you ever seen a racehorse and a jackass in the same yoke? The racehorse wants to do what? Go. And that jackass may not want to move. And lo and behold, they get married. Some of you already done got farther down the road than where I've gone yet. And so you find yourself, well, 
He is so slow. He is so slow. Don't knock his judgment. Look who he married. (laughs) So what is the basis and motivation for this forgiveness? Because Christ paid for our sins. We learn to forgive other people. And so you hinder your fellowship with God in your daily walk. It's hindered in your daily walk with the Lord. Because, see, the bitterness keeps you from enjoying the Lord. When you're bitter, you poison other people. When you shed your bitterness and your hatred, you're poisoning other people. And the purpose of the poison is to kill them. Don't allow people who are bitter people to poison you against somebody else. It's not good, it's not right, it's not proper. But learn how to forgive and keep on serving the Lord, and God will bless you. And these are some verses to keep in mind. You write these down, 1 John chapter 1, 6-10. They are awesome verses. Because 1 John 1, 9 simply says, talks about, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's to the believer. But whenever you sin against your wife, or you sin against your husband, or even if you sin against your children, learn to confess it. Own up to it. When that person knows that you wronged them and you won't admit it, you know that just causes them to lose a little respect for you because you're not honest. You're not upfront. You're being deceptive. And it's hard for people to trust you when you're not honest. And you want to have all of this. You want to be the way God wants you to be. Demonstrating the grace of God in your life. And that's not the easiest thing to do because the only way you can do that is you've got to stay close to the Lord. And not everybody stays as close to the Lord as they could be. It would be great if we did. But anyway, just a few thoughts to help you love each other. Cut each other some slack. Don't be so mean and hard on each other. Everybody's struggling. The wife's struggling. The husband's struggling. The kids are struggling. We're living in a sinful world. And all we see is a lot of the stuff that's not good and wholesome for us. But at least when you come to church, you're supposed to learn some things from the Bible that's supposed to help you in your Christian life. I told people before, if you come to all the services of the church, you'll have all the counseling you need. You'll get all the counseling you need. You don't have to go paying for some psychiatrist or something like that. They charge you a lot of money. But this is biblical counseling. But it's the counseling that can help you in every area of your life. See, most problems are sin problems. It's a spiritual problem. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. Now God, He loves us, but He hates our sin. He loves us. But to pay for sin is eternal separation from God. And so we were without hope. There is no option to. We have to die and pay for our sins. That's the payment for sin. You see, heaven is perfect, but we're not. And God won't let sin in. We can't go. How can I get rid of my sin? Die, then it's too late. So God says, you cannot earn eternal life. You need a Savior. So this hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh came into the world because He loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from Him. So the Bible says the only way we can get to heaven is God's going to have to just forgive us the note. Forgive us. But He can't just forgive us because the law says it has to be paid. So He can't just write it off and forget all about it. So He had to send His Son. His son came into the world and died that sin debt that we owe. Everybody has to die. And he paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. 
So now, because the debt has been paid, forgiveness can be offered. So he told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the forgiveness of sins. See, the sin payment's been made. That's not the issue anymore. Now the issue is, will you accept God's forgiveness? Who in their right mind wouldn't? So when I was 18 years old, I heard this for the first time. It blew my mind. You mean it's free? I don't have to do something? I mean, there's nothing to do? I don't have to change my life, start doing something? All I had to do was believe He did it for me. And He would put this payment to my account. And I go to heaven on what Christ did for me. And that was a gift. Free. So this is the message that teaches the grace of God. God loved us, and we didn't deserve it. And He paid for our sins, and we didn't deserve that. He forgives us, and we didn't deserve that. Now, in our lives, there's people going to sin against us. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve to be loved, and they don't deserve to be kind, and they, we, they don't deserve our compassion. They don't deserve it. So we're only looking for the people that deserve our goodness. Oh, really? God says, I want you to do this for me. Treat them the way I treated you. Now, can you understand what I'm saying? Can you really understand what I'm saying? Shake your head like this. This means yes. This means no. I was over in India. They went like this. I'd ask them a question. They'd go like that. <laughs> totally confused me. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust Him right now? Would you say something to the Lord? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died, paid for my sins, and I'm going to trust Him as my only hope of going to heaven. I want the Lord's forgiveness for everything I've ever done. And the reason He can do that is because He's already paid for my sins. And I will accept His forgiveness. And if you will... God said He would give you the free gift of everlasting life. And you can know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. Would you trust Him? If you will, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, would you trust Christ as your Savior? And if you will, would you let me know by just slipping your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, while I was talking, did anybody's picture flash into your mind? Can you recall something that was said or done to you or that you did to someone else? And you need to get forgiveness for that. Talk to the Lord about those things. God will bless you. He really will. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you do for us. We're so thankful that we get an opportunity in our life to demonstrate to others just how good you are and how wonderful and how blessed it is to be sinners forgiven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.